Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. If you're following along in your journal this morning, we are now on page 46 as we begin the new year with a new series called Truly Human. In uh, 1830, historical psychological novel called The Red and Black, a French author by the name of Steinhall, he asks the question, why am I me? Soren Kierkegaard asks the question, who am I? How, do I? how did I get into the world? Why was I not asked about it? <laughs> and if I'm compelled to be involved, where is the manager? I have something to say about this. These questions of identity have marked the human race for far longer than maybe we seem to be aware of. We've kind of turned this conversation of identity into a modern, con- a modern conversation rather than just a simply a, a human one. I think we long to be known. We long to have an understanding of who we are and how that would maybe compel us to live. Identity is, is not this modern issue, it is a human one. And questions like these of who am I or why am I me, they're questions that we ask often, whether or not we're fully cognizant of it. And there is this inherent desire within our humanity to know our purpose, to know what to do and why we matter. So to begin our year, we are having a conversation around these questions of identity through the lens of Jesus. Throughout the biblical story, there is an acute awareness of this need. When we go back to the garden narrative at the beginning of the Bible, we see that there is an identity provided to God's creation, to humanity. One in which relationship sits at the center of it. And when humanity falls and, and no longer lives into the responsibility and identity offered by God, we see this narrative of history played out through the biblical story in which we no longer find what it means to be human. It, it can be a theological idea, this idea of being truly human. But when we look at the image of Jesus that comes to us in the Gospels, it's not simply a portrayal of someone that is impossible to follow. It's not simply God that is here with us and we can just look at from a distance. It's not simply the idea of Jesus as an ideological concept on which we can maybe sometimes gravitate towards. It is an example of what it means to be truly human as you and I have been designed. Our identity in Jesus, our identity as we have, are always longing to discover is something that God acutely is aware of. Sometimes we can feel so isolated in our longing for it. We can even think about our resolutions to start the year. 
Well, I'm going to commit myself to this and to that, and maybe I'll eventually get to this spot, or maybe I'll be able to have my, my will move me towards this place, because I think this is where I'm supposed to go. I want you to know as you begin your year that the identity that God has for you is the one that he wants you to know. Not just for it to be something that you maybe dis discover once you pass through the pearly gates. And he's like, by the way, this was your identity all along. Sorry you missed out, but I'm glad you're here to hang out. Identity is something that we, we want. And Jesus is God himself becoming human to show us what it is to be truly human. To be fully human. And we're invited to discover what that means and what that looks like in Jesus. In the month of December, we spent time looking around this idea of hope, this word yahal. And we looked at the idea of Jesus that's seen within the Old Testament. A king, a priest, a prophet. And in the midst of identifying who Jesus is. And, and the stations that Jesus holds, we're invited to place our trust in Jesus. And it's one thing to place your trust in Jesus. It's another thing to actually have that trust be the motivation, the compulsion, the foundation by which we choose to live. To trust in God needs to be at the foundation. Yet what we do with it and how it begins to shape us, well, that's a whole different conversation. To bridge our two series... We did release a podcast this past week that you can check out. It's got a couple of different voices, myself, uh, Steve, and Ryan Guerra, who are able to talk about what it means to move from this place of the stations that we see of Jesus in the Old Testament to the identity that is revealed in Jesus within the Gospels. Now, for this morning, when we are asking this question of who am I, I feel like we need to start from a very simple foundation. And it's simple, but it's difficult simultaneously. Within the biblical narrative, we see over and over again this desire for God to know that his people are not simply a people that are distant and set, up, set aside, but they're his children. There, there's an inherent relationship intertwined with this design of humanity and God. And so this morning I want to look at this idea of what, it, what does it really mean to be a child of God. And it's a phrase that gets thrown around really flippantly and really casually within, within Christian circles. That we say, okay, I'm a child of God, we sing songs about it. But what does it really mean when you hear someone say that they're your child? Does it actually shape you? Does it, does it lead your intentions and your motivations, your actions, your thoughts? You have an idea of who you are when you know who, of whom you are talking about as your father, as your mother. You have an idea of that. As I get older and I see the things that I do, the way my face looks, I look at my parents and I'm like, yeah, they're definitely my parents. <laughs> Maybe some of the things that I, I found maybe were a little bit annoying or I'm like, oh, I would never do that. I'm like, I'm definitely doing that. I have, I have a, a little girl now and I'm like, oh, for sure I'm doing even more of the things that I thought maybe I wouldn't do within the midst of my own parenting. But to know who your father, who your mother is, it informs so much of what you're doing as the child. And I think we glaze over this idea really quickly. 
Instead of actually having it grab hold of our hearts and move us towards real intention. At the beginning of every year, there's these idea of resolutions that come to the forefront. And resolutions are, are not a bad thing. I think we're, we're so funny within our society that we swing really hard from one idea to the next. There's a, there was a, perhaps a season for yourself in general and culture where resolutions were the it thing. Set your resolutions. Going to gym once a week, reading a book once a week. It's really, really uh, ambitious, let's be honest. <laughs> Eating less sugar, even more ambitious. Uh, I'm going to say one nice thing to my, to my partner every day. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do X, Y, Z to become a, a better parent. I'm going to make sure that I actually show up for work on time more consistently. All these different things, all these resolutions that we get. And then they're maybe too ambitious, maybe they're, they're too idealistic. And then before we know it, we're like, oh, we didn't achieve it. And then the next year rolls around, we start thinking about our resolutions. We're like, well, I didn't get it the first time, so I'm not going to do them at all. We, we swing so hard from one idea to the next. I'm going to do everything and then I'm going to do nothing. And in the midst of that, what the danger of what can happen is that when we completely eliminate any resolution or any, any focused attention in our life towards specific things, we lose all intention. And a lack of intention just allows life just to kind of happen around us. There's not a, an openness or an, a desire to actually see what maybe God is doing in the midst of our own realities. I saw, I saw a great quote this week from uh, Rich Velotis. And he was talking about this concept about the new wine within the story of Jesus. Talking about how there's new things that are being brought into the world through, through the grace of God. And within the story that he's referring to, it's the first of Jesus' miracles. There's a party, and Jesus brings new wine to it. But in the story, before the water is turned into wine, something had, somebody had to do the ordinary, tiresome task of filling the water pots. And often, when we want new things, when we want new wine to appear, we just want it to happen miraculously. But Jesus calls us to fill the jars first. God often wants us to participate in our own transformation. And it needs to start within this place of intention. We have things we need to do in our life that create space for the power of the Holy Spirit to begin the transformation that our soul longs for. And for us this morning, as we begin to look at what it means to be truly human, we look at Jesus and the ways in which he presents a beautiful picture of where our identity needs to be found in and for our intention to follow that. Sometimes our inability to receive God's good gifts, to receive the new wine, the new things you're longing for, can be born simply out of a blindness from seeing our identity as God's children. So we're going to read a very familiar story out of Luke chapter 15 and see perhaps the heart of the Father in discovering who we are as his children. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, says, Jesus continued 
There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son took, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is a parable from Jesus that perhaps you've, you've heard a hundred times over. But I feel like every time I read it, even reading it just now, I see so many more glimpses of the heart of the Father that we're invited to discover. That even in that final statement where it says, my son, the son of mine was dead. As if to say, even when he was dead, he was still my son. This is my heart towards him. It's a beautiful story that highlights the prodigal son. And there's an older son later on in the text that feels a certain way about the younger son coming home and receiving gifts that he does not feel like he deserves. And he feels like he has earned in the midst of it. And all of it, both for the younger son and the older son, are pictures of what it is to have an identity in relationship to their father. Identity is a funny thing. We are looking for it in all the different aspects of our life. Work, family, relationships. Uh, we're searching for it within our, our successes, within our, our different ambitions. Everything is tied into identity seemingly. And I would say that knowing who you are goes a long ways into helping you understand why you are. The, the second movie that I ever saw, the first movie I ever saw was this, it's the classic Star Wars, Episode One: Phantom Menace in the theater. It was a big deal. Got to go see it. The second movie I ever saw in the theaters was The Princess Diaries. Yeah, <laughs> so. And it's, it's, it's the classic story of... Uh, Joe Schmo ending up finding out that they have some uh, heritage that leads to royalty and they become someone that they never thought that they were going to be. It's actually a pretty good movie. You can watch it. Uh, it it's funny though. 
Because the, the story paints this idea that she learns who she is and she, sure, she, she, she certainly sees things change around her. But as any feel-good movie happens, it doesn't just change the things around her, but it reveals the true identity that's always been within her. And it's simplistic in many ways. But sometimes when we don't have a sense of our identity, we can't even see the things that are within us. In our humanity, the scriptures tell us over and over again that we're invited to see the image of God that lies within us. And when you carry the image of someone, it is an indication of the child of God that you are. All the ways in which God comes to life within you, your joy, your gifts, your talents, the, the way in which you communicate, the way in which you feel life come out of you are beautiful representations of the divine that is present within you. And it's not by accident. You don't suddenly have those things simply because one day you decided that you were going to follow Jesus. The beautiful thing is you were created in the image of God. That he knows you as a son and daughter. He longs to be in relationship with you. And this is not something that he gives to you upon the decision. It's something that you just you receive when that decision is made. You've always had it within you. But when we begin to actually discover our identity as a child of God, we live into it. And we see it come alive within us. And it has an impact upon the way we live. There's so much research and science that talks about the, inter, the intersection of our identity and our health. That when we have a sense of our, who we are, it has a deep impact upon our very being. In a physical way, in how we live, in our mental health, in a, in a month like January where this is often a highlight. Our identity and our mental health are often deeply tied together. There's this concept called intersectionality where it acknowledges that individuals, they hold multiple social identities that intersect and interact. So a person's mental health can be influenced by the intersection of race and gender and, and sexual identity. And understanding these intersections is crucial for providing effective mental health support. All this to say that the identities that we sometimes hold on a daily basis have more impact upon the way that we live than we think. And we are often absent in including our identity as a child of God in our day-to-day -day existence. How often do you think about yourself as a child of God? When you encounter something difficult, is that something that actually enters the way that you approach the situation? I, I am lacking, I'm longing, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, but I am a child of God. It, it almost feels flippant to the reality of a situation, but to know your identity changes the way that you approach those moments. When you have joyful moments, knowing your identity is, is greatly altered. When I was playing basketball for my very first year, we actually had a really good team. It's the only year that I ever won a championship. It was the first year I ever played basketball. 
didn't know how to shoot a ball at the beginning of the season, you figure out as you go, and the team gets better, and you're a bunch of 9 and 10-year-olds figuring out that you love to play this sport. And we're running around the floor, and we're figuring it out, and our team does really well. We get to the championship game, and we win the game. I hit a shot. I feel like I'm the biggest deal in the world. We, we, we win the game, and at the end, the very first response within me wasn't to go to celebrate with my team. It was to go celebrate with my dad. My, my, my very being was drawn to celebrate with that which I can identify with. This, this is part of our very existence that we are often negligent in including. Do you think of yourself as a child of God? I hear the words of the Son that when he comes to hopefully get back into the good graces of his father in Luke chapter 15. That he says to him, well, I can just be your hired servant. I no longer deserve to be your son. How often we say that. Walked away, made a mistake, forgotten who we are, and gone down a path that we don't think is worth recovering. Yeah, we just, we want, we want things to get at least markedly better. And we come back to the Father and we say, well, if you could just maybe forgive me this time, hopefully things get better. Instead of seeing the simple fact that even when we were dead, you were still a son or daughter of mine. Within our search for identity, there are lies that we are telling ourselves or facing, responses that we're giving that we have to confront in our conversation of also receiving that identity as a child of God. One of the responses that we're quick to give is I am, when we ask the question, who am I? We respond by saying, I am what I do. The, the youngest son has this response. I have done the wrong thing, therefore I am no longer your son. And then we have another response. I am what I have. And in the response of the older brother where he sees that nothing has been given to him. Therefore he cannot be valued in the same way. He has this response to say as if because I don't have the things that I long for. Well I can't be the son that you are actually seeing me. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Within this text, I think it reveals for us if the first idea is that I am what I do, I think we can all relate to that. We face this on a daily basis, this overcoming of comparison, that the things that I do are more important than anything else that's going on around me, that, that the ways that I achieve, the ways that I succeed are the identifications of, my, of who I am. 
and we fight this battle on a daily basis. And then we see I am what I have come to the forefront. That when we feel like we're lacking, we feel ourselves a failure. And it's the cycle of identity, identity that feels lost over and over again. And we live out of that place. This is what I find for myself. When I'm responding to the question of who am I with I am what I do or I am what I have, I'm in this constant state of fear. I am fearful when I am trying to do something. I'm fearful when I'm trying to receive something. Even if it is good, fear seems to sit at the center of it. And fear in many ways becomes central in my very identity. When you are doing something moving forward towards something, trying to receive something, is it out of a place of fear? Fear of being less than? Fear of lacking? Because what's being talked about in, in Romans when Paul is writing this, he says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. That is to say, the opposite of being a child of God is slavery to fear. A child of God lives under this space of freedom and adoption and knowing that the things that I do and the things that I have are beautiful because they have been the things that have been given to me out of my identity with the Father. And you'll notice that one produces contentment while the other produces fear. Slavery is the language that's used in that text. And slavery, not just in the sense of uh, I'm bound by my own thoughts, but it's slavery to the idols of identity. To those questions, I am what I do, I am what I have. Or we can even add a third one in there. I am what people say I am. We are slaves to the idols of identity. Operating out of a place of fear. In the intentions of our life. And it, and it is a tricky thing to diagnose. Because sometimes the actions that come out of it can look good. I'm feeling fearful, so I'm going to work harder to make sure things are taken care of. Working hard is not a bad thing. But when it's founded in a place of fear, we can take it to a deeper identification of the root and see that our identity is as slaves rather than as children of God. What if I'm not enough? What if I don't have enough? What if what they say about me is actually true? All of these are barriers that stand around us, preventing us from seeing this beautiful declaration from heaven over and over again that you might know that you are a child of God. John chapter 1 verses 12 to 13 says, Yet to all who did receive him, 
to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When we are considering this idea of identity, I think we can be quick to go to one side or the other. The first being, I am what I do, I am what I have. And we can see ourselves maybe in one category and be like, I'm better in the other. The one that I think we're all falling into on a daily basis is I am what people say about me. We are so guilty of hearing the words of others as the markers of our identity rather than the words of the Father who loves us desperately. Within the story of the prodigal son, you notice that the prodigal son, when he returns to the feet of the father, he is so quick to speak. He rushes in and wants the father to hear all of his remorse, all of his apology, all of his, his ideas that he has formulated before the father's even spoken a word. As if there have been those who have been saying that all the things that he had believed about himself were true all along. He speaks before the Father can. And I think for some of us as we begin this year, you need to have a space of silence to hear the words of the Father before you can start to speak what you long for yourself. You're putting your words as the primary means of which you're formulating your life. You've heard the words of others say, this is what success looks like. This is what identity looks like. This is what your... your your struggles should actually be dealt with. And, and these are all these words that have been said to us and we've adopted them as our own. And sometimes we just need to be silent and listen and invite the presence of God, the Spirit of God to be the first and final word for our hearts to receive the hope that it longs for. When we are returning to the, the feet of the Father... You've already, you'll notice the son, the son, he'd already disqualified himself. I'm not his son. I'm nothing better than a hired hand. I've got to convince him to even let me be that much. I'm not going to even let him say a word. I'm going to run to him. I'm, I'm going to come to him and he's, he's just going to have to believe at least this much and maybe I can get into his good graces. How many times are we that son that we've heard the words of others, adopted them as our own, and we've spoken them to God as if they are the truth that he has for us? This is a deception that we need to overcome. Jesus' whole message is saying, you are not what you have. You're not what people say about you. And you're not what you do. Even though there are aspects of all of that in which makes you suffer, makes you, makes you feel awful, and maybe it feels, makes you feel good or makes you feel happy. That is not who you are. I come, Jesus says, to reveal to you who you truly are. And who are you? You are a child of God. You're the one I, who I call my child. Galatians 3 verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. 
challenge of sonship, as the Bible talks about it, of, of receiving this gift of being a child of God, is not in the giver's hesitation. It's in us as the receiver in our inability to grab hold of a truth that is offered to us. The younger son was, was searching. The older son was searching. I'm searching. And we're searching for identity in all the different places of our life instead of starting from that place of receiving the gift of being his child. What does it look like when you're a child? Well, you're welcomed with open arms back home. You're, you're loved unconditionally. You're, you're protected and cared for. You're given chance after chance after chance. Sometimes we jump to uh, the age of a child when we think about this as like a teenager and how frustrating maybe a, a, a teenage existence is. For me, my context right now is my, my one and a half year old. And how many times she tries to say the right thing. I'm like, no, that's, that's not right, Mia. <laughs> or she tries again, she tries again, she tries again. And what joy and celebration comes bursting out of my heart when I see her finally get it. And there's no impatience in the midst of that. So I know she's trying. She's figuring it out. And it's the heart of the Father towards you. That he is ready to burst with celebration and excitement in every moment where you finally receive the truth that you are a child of God. Worship team, you can come join me at the front. So the question I want us to take home this morning is, do you, do you believe that you are a child of God? To be a child of God is to know that you are loved before you've done anything. You are welcomed back home with open arms. You are known by a father's heart, not the world's opinion. And that barrier that says, I am what I do, would we receive and know that I rest in what he has done? That I am what I have, I am content in all he has given. And I am what other people say about me, turned into I am defined by his words. How would your life look different if you began to actually take the words that say I'm a child of God and adopt them as your own? To not simply be a title meant for someone else, but to know that you have a father who thinks of you in this way. I know I need to have that be a reminder for me on a daily basis. And perhaps for you this morning, the idea of a father and family is fraught with struggle and with strife and with difficulty. And the picture of a father does not have the connotation that the scripture is desiring. I want you to know that God is a better father than the father that we have. 
He holds every bit of us in his hands and longs for us to find wholeness and healing and life and love that is offered through him. So may we find identity in Christ. May we see that as the son of God, we are invited to receive that truth that we are children of God. Let's pray together. Father, we offer our hearts to you this morning. As we begin this journey to discover our identity of what it looks like to be truly human, I just pray that you would give us boldness to be honest of where we sit and where we are standing in the midst of our, our hearts and our minds in relationship with you. Where there is heartache and where there is hurt, I just pray that there would be healing that would interject and interrupt. For all the ways we have approached you, denying our identity as a child of God and quick to speak and say words that others have said to us, I pray that there would be freedom from that. I pray that fear would not get the final word. I pray that there would be a revelation from every person in this place of who you are and who they are to you. Holy Spirit, transform our hearts and our minds. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.